1: everybody it's lizzie over here at let's get civical wishing you all a happy happy holidays we don't have a new episode for you this week but we are re-airing one of our favorite episodes from this year so we hope you enjoy and we will see you all in 2022
0: hey everyone welcome to let's get civical this is the podcast
1: that breaks down politics, government structure, and dives into the context of current events, but in
0: a super fun way. I'm Lizzie Stewart, comedian, feminist, and political junkie. And I'm Ard Walentowski, former Senate intern, campaign staffer, and political strategist. In this episode,
1: we're talking about the Select Committee on the Modernization of Congress with Congressman Derek Kilmer and Congressman William Timmons.
0: So grab your
1: recommendations. And let's get civical. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Let's Get Civical. I'm Lizzie Stewart. And I'm Arden Walentowski. And today, very special day, we are so incredibly excited to have two guests on our podcast today. We have with us Congressman Derek Kilmer and Congressman William Timmons talking about the Select Committee on the Modernization of Congress the chair and vice chair themselves, welcome both of you. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good
0: morning. Thank you for being here. So good to
1: be with you too. So I want to jump right in and sort of talk about your committee specifically. And I want to start with a very basic question because when I heard about it, I had this, which is where did this committee come from? Like how did this come to be? Because I hadn't heard of it. And when I heard of it, I was like, how did we not have this 30 years before now? Yeah. So Congressman Kilmer, I want to kick it over to you first, if you can just kind of walk us through the origin story.
2: Yeah. So the the Select Committee on the Modernization of Congress, the name makes it sound like we're the IT help desk a little bit, but yeah. um, we're not. <laughs> it's... uh been nicknamed the fixed congress committee and about every 20 or 30 years or so congress realizes things aren't working the way they ought to and they create mm. a committee to do something about it and this is the most recent iteration of that the last one was in the early 90s and then before that in the 70s so when you said why didn't this exist 30 years ago sadly it did exist 30 years oh, ago oh no but and then it went away and so you know our our uh, it was set up about three years ago with a pretty simple goal of making Congress work better for the American people. There were a bunch of sort of subcategories under that, looking at uh, the rules and procedures of Congress. Uh, how, how can Congress do a better job of actually solving problems for the American people rather than having it frequently look like the Jerry Springer show? Uh, how can Congress do a better job of recruiting and retaining and having more diverse staff? You know, you've seen real challenges in that regard in in Congress with very high turnover. That doesn't serve the interests of the American people because it means the institution far too often is overly reliant on lobbyists. Uh, We've been asked to look at things like the use of technology by Congress to solve problems and to engage our constituents. Congress has been described as a 18th century institution using 20th century technology to solve 21st century problems. I think that's a pretty apt description and then we're looking at some stuff that that we weren't even assigned to look at. So we've been looking at, you know, things like civility and collaboration and uh, how can Congress actually make some progress rather than just have partisan bickering.
3: And one let me jump in one interesting yep. thing, one unique thing about the committee is we have six Republicans and six Democrats. And in order to do uh, anything, make any recommendations, we have to have eight votes that is very unusual in Congress, and it literally oh, forces wow. us to work together. Um, one of the biggest challenges Congress has is our, our lack of collaboration, our lack of policy making from a position of mutual respect. And so we are working together hand in hand to address some of these biggest issues. They're not partisan. Um, everyone wants Congress to do its job better, and yep. uh, the American people deserve a better product. So it's really just been an honor to, to work with the, the chairman and um, my colleagues on both sides of the aisle to, to try to help. Uh, make Congress more effective, uh, efficient, and transparent for the American people.
0: Yeah, because that's something that I'm sure everybody you know everybody wants. We want Congress to to move forward and and do things together. that I love that structure that like uh, that structure of the committee that is really it forces you to do that in a way, you know. So, were you guys appointed? Did you have to run to be on the committee? How did you get appointed to the committee, to your your spots in particular, and what led you to do that? What were your ideas that you that led you to to, to seek out the committee?
2: So, um, I had been part of a conversation before the committee was created about uh, uh, refreshing some of the rules in in Congress. Every uh, every two years, at the beginning of a new Congress, Congress passes a set of rules. And we actually had some bipartisan conversations, Democrats and Republicans sitting down saying, so we don't know who's going to be in charge next year. That that seems like a pretty good time to talk about rules. And Mm. so we were discussing all these things and we kept coming up with stuff like, well, you know, there's a ton of turnover in Congress. And we'd go like, well, that is a real problem, but it's not really like a rules thing. So let's put this in like a bucket Mm. of other stuff that needs to be looked at. And we hadn't really defined how it was going to be looked at, but it was just kind of in this bucket of stuff that needed to be looked at and technology and, you know, even like nitty gritty things like franking, which is the process through which members of Congress communicate with our constituents, you know, the the um, all of this stuff got put in this bucket. And when we got to the end of the process, we had proposed some changes to rules. And then we said, you know what, maybe there ought to be a committee like there has been like there was 30 years ago and 20 years before that, to look at all of this stuff. Because I'd been involved in one of, in all those conversations, I think um, I, I was someone who folks said, hey, you, you want to be the guy who chairs the let's look at all this stuff committee, um, <laughs> which I was happy to do. My background was as a management consultant. I worked in economic development. But before that, I was a management consultant. And, you know, so part of the Job in that respect is like identifying problems and trying to figure out how to fix them.
0: That's awesome.
3: So I came at it a little bit differently. I got elected in 2018, and one of my mentors, Tom Graves, ended up becoming the initial vice chair in the hundred and 16th Congress. And he encouraged me to look at it. And then I, I requested to be placed on the committee by Leader McCarthy. And so I served in the first uh, two, two iterations of this committee, 2019-2020, as a member of the committee. And at the end of last Congress, we had a number of retirements. And Leader McCarthy was kind enough to trust me to take the the lead on our side of the aisle. And it has been awesome. My My Campaign slogan in 2018 when I ran for Congress was Washington is broken. And trust me, I, I, mm. I've come to really believe that more, more than ever as a, as a new member of Congress. So being a part of the effort to try to help change this institution is really just an incredible honor. It's, it's everything about why I ran for Congress. and. It is some of the most important work I've ever done. So uh, I just, I'm very fortunate to, to be helping move the, move the ship in
2: the right direction.
1: That's amazing. I was just going to
2: add, I, I think if you talk to every member of our committee, there's just an appetite to see this place function better. You, yeah. know, it's, it's, you know, it's strange to, you know, when, when you come to Congress, it's strange to be part of an organization that, according to recent polling, is less popular than head lice, colonoscopies, and the rock band Nickelback. <laughs> And, you know, you've got (laughs) a pretty good sense of why. I mean, when there's constant threats of government shutdowns and the, you know, all of this, you know, the the bickering and things like that, there's a real sense that Congress Mm -hmm. is punching below its weight. And we've got some real challenges as a nation. And, you know, looking at how to make the place better capable of solving those problems for our constituents, I think gives everybody kind of a... Uh, fire in the belly to be part of this work.
0: Yeah. I wish that, you know, (laughs) the committee was more like more high profile. Like I want more people to know about it. You know, like there, there is a group of people in Congress working to do the things that like a lot of Americans are frustrated about and they're trying to find solutions for them and, and they're doing it in a bipartisan way. Like I, I wish that, that, uh, that sound was you know, heard more loudly around across the United States.
3: I don't I don't think that we need um, to be high profile as long as we are effective. Yeah. The the results
0: will speak for themselves.
3: So um, I'm fine not being front and center on Fox News. But um, (laughs) as long as as long
2: as Congress is fixed, uh, it will consider the job well done. We're counting on this being the most viral episode of Let's Get Civical, though. So
1: honestly, us, too. So we're all in this together. (laughs) But I do I do want to talk more just a little bit about bipartisanship because this committee is so unique. And when I heard that we were going to have you both on, I was like together, you know, because what we see and what we hear in a lot of the political theater that exists right now is so much about not working with the other side. And there's so many influences, right, that feed into that you know, notion. So I really want to hear about how this committee is able to work together, how your relationship is able to exist. And if there is, or if there are any, you know, upcoming or current recommendations, initiatives that you are working on specifically surrounding getting members of Congress to kind of stop a little bit with the political theater that exists currently? I'll jump in yeah, first. go ahead.
3: So you're, using the, you're using the right word. Theater? Theater. <laughs> theater. I've been on four committees in Congress. I was on budget, I was on education and labor, and now I'm on financial services. Those three committees never once was there a legitimate exchange of ideas or, mm. a, def- or a defense of ideas that changed the direction of the policy that we were pursuing. So just right. think about that. Yeah. In the current in the current climate, nobody defends their ideas. Nobody has a legitimate exchange of ideas. Very often, most often, there's not a basis of mutual respect from which people are actually legitimately trying to have a policy-based conversation, and and that is what's wrong. And you got to think about immigration debt. I mean, you know, debt was a huge problem in 2010. That was like 14 trillion dollars ago. Like I, I mean. You know it's yeah. it's crazy, and you know this is not a this is not a R or a D problem. This is a United States of America problem. Um, everybody's been flipping out about immigration, you know millions of people ago, and now we have even more people coming into this country and it's just we got to solve this problem on a bipartisan basis. We're not going to have a situation mm-hmm. in my yeah. lifetime where the Republican Party or the Democrat Party is going to be able to solve these problems. We have to do it together, right. So we're benefiting from a lot of structural uh, components of our committee. And our job is to use the benefits of our structural components. We have this, we share staff, right. we sit interspersed throughout each other. We all are friends with one another. We all are friendly with one another. And we have conversations about the issues that are plaguing this institution and how to fix them. And, you know, we might not always agree on an idea, but we're mm-hmm. going to talk through it and it, we're going to give it a, a full vetting and we're going to try to find a way that we can fix the problem. Yeah. That's how you're supposed to create policy. And it's been a breath of fresh air. And yeah. our job is now to how, how can we get all the other committees and all of our other colleagues to engage in the same uh, dialogue that our committee is engaging in.
0: Rather than just like shouting at one another and saying what you believe over and over. Nobody's ever this-
3: yelled at someone into changing their mind.
0: Right, Exactly.
1: And see, C- and nobody's ever yelled at C-SPAN and somebody's watched it and said, you know what? It,
2: wow. It, I, <laughs> I yeah. do want to like double click on a couple of things that yeah. William mentioned. Yeah. One of the things that we decided early on in this process was if we want Congress to function differently, we ought to just do things differently. Yeah. Right. So, you know, William mentioned we have a shared staff. That's really unusual, right? Usually when a committee gets its funding, it, you know, you divide by two, Democrats get their funding and they hire people with a Democratic background who put on blue jerseys and Republicans hire a bunch of Republicans who put on red jerseys and then they duke it out.
1: It's West Side Story.
2: Well, yeah, exactly. It's the sharks <laughs> and the jets, for sure. Exactly. And we wow, made yeah. a conscious decision at the beginning of this just not to do that, to hire a joint staff. Some were Democrats, some are Republicans, but they all put on let's fix Congress jerseys. And like, we just work together. You know, the, 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 William mentioned, we don't sit on a dais. We sit around, you know, I've never had a functional conversation speaking to the back of someone's head. And so Mm -hmm. we've decided to like kind of sit in a round table format with Democrats and Republicans, not on opposite sides of a dais, but sitting next to each other. So why do we do that? Yeah, we do that because when you have a witness come in who says something interesting, your genetic predisposition is to lean over to the person next to you and go like, yeah, that was kind of interesting. What do you think about that? Yeah, and we wanted to be someone from the other party. This so this is not this isn't cosmetic, right? This is how do you actually change the way the place functions? And so you asked about kind of what recommendations we're making as a consequence yeah. of that. So some we've already made. You know, so for example, among the most broken things in Congress is that you are you are forced into your tribe from the beginning, literally. When you come in for freshman orientation, you know Democrats are said, you know, there's there's the Democratic bus and Republicans, there's the Republican bus. Oh my! And and much of the orientation process is separated by party. And so one of our recommendations was stop doing that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right?
2: Yeah. Stop, yeah. Stop separating <laughs> that effort. Some of our recommendations have been focused on things like how the committees function. You know, one of the things that our committee did was we had a joint. Uh, a planning exercise, kind of a retreat where Democrats and Republicans sat in the same room and said, Hey, so what do we want to get done? You know, that's mm-hmm. then there that doesn't happen much in this place, and it certainly doesn't happen with Democrats and Republicans in the same room. And listen, that's hard, and there's going to be some committees where there's just not going to be common ground in terms of things that both parties can agree on. But having the conversation of, okay, here's where we're headed, and maybe getting a sense of people's priorities. I actually think you know I've never been part of a functional organization that didn't you know sort of set out on the front end to say hey are there some are, are there some shared goals that we can uh, uh, subscribe to are there at least some shared norms that we can agree to so that we're not going to just be cats and dogs uh, fighting with e- each other yep. you know one of the things that Williams and maybe you want to talk about this you know one of the things we've also looked at and this weirdly kind of gets into the issue of Civility and collaboration is just time, you know. Congress isn't here enough, and that doesn't really foster mm. relationship building. I don't know if, if we'll. Sure. You want no. to talk about so this? in
3: 2019, we were uh, in for full days, only 65 days. We have, for example, today is a flyout day, and I'll be on a plane in an hour. We have one vote. Uh, Monday, we have a vote. We had a vote at 6:30, and I call that a bed check vote. We don't do any work on Monday. We do minimal work on Friday. So I don't count those as full days. Those are right. sixty-six of those. We had sixty-five full days, sixty-six fly-in and fly-out days. I'm on two committees. I'm on three subcommittees. Inevitably, you have to fundraise. We have floor votes. We have constituent meetings. We are just all over the place when we are. I call it pinballing because you're just bouncing around. Yeah. Rarely, when I speak in financial services, are more than uh, I don't know five or ten percent of the committee present. So again, it doesn't matter what I say. It, 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 the people on the committee, the people I'm trying to actually have an exchange of ideas with are not even present. They're not even right, there. Right, right. So, you know, and most people use their five minutes to grandstand for three and then ask two gotcha questions and cut them off and you're done. Right. And again, that's not legitimate policy making. It's just not. So we've got to find a way to Change the schedule and the calendar to facilitate more opportunities for legitimate collaborative, fact-based policy making, exchange of ideas, defending yeah. ideas. I just really want people to actually have to defend their ideas. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and do it in a manner that is, is not yelling and screaming. Yeah. So we need to be here more. We need to be more efficient with our time. And you know, I'm fortunate, door to door for me from my office in D.C. to my home in South Carolina, assuming everything goes well, is like three hours, three hours and 15 minutes. Uh, the, the chairman, well, what is it, eight? Eight hours. Oh, no. And honestly, he's not even that 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 bad. We had a couple members that are in rural Oregon. Um, that, I mean, they're right. 12, 13 hours. So uh, we had one member, um, Mark Pocan. He, uh, I think he said that his flight has either been delayed or canceled like 45 or 50% of the time in the last three years. Oh and if he misses his flight, his like eight hour commute becomes like a 20 hour commute. Um, so right, just cool. imagine doing that the same number of days that you actually work every year, you're traveling. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. So we got to work yeah. on that. And we made a recommendation last uh, year and we're, we're trying to tweak the schedule, but um, we still have more work to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Pardon, we just gave you stomach upset. I'm sorry.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We're going to take a quick break for a little word from our sponsors.
3: And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny, true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.
0: I'd like to turn to, if we can, just the process of like how you guys get to a recommendation, how the committee decides, you know, what they're going to focus on. If there's research that go, that goes into that, how you you know how you guys write that up, and just kind of what the process is of getting that all on paper and getting it out into the world, how the voting structure goes, all of that. If you could give us a little bit of insight into that, that would be fantastic.
2: Yeah, it's a little bit different than most committees, in part because um, we have a requirement to have a supermajority vote to pass recommendations. Mm. So the way the committee has generally worked is we have hearings about topics where there's problems and the hearings are an opportunity for us to unearth solutions to those problems. So just this week, we had a hearing related to um, civility and collaboration, specifically with regard to how committees function. You know, and I gotta tell you, so I, I literally have my notebook here, and every time I heard an idea that could turn into a recommendation, I put a star next to it. I have 11 stars in my notebook of things that I heard that I thought, you know, that's something, that's a thread we could pull on and try to turn into a recommendation. Yeah. So then, what we've done is we get together as a committee and we say, okay, here's a big menu of things that we've heard in different categories, you know, so around staffing or diversity or, you know, uh, uh, technology. And we kind of walk through them in kind of painstaking detail and say, here's the problem that we're trying to solve. Here's a potential recommendation to solve that problem. Let's discuss it and see if there's eight votes to, to pass it. Or, if you don't like this, is there a way to tweak it so that you could support it? That type of thing. Mm. And, yeah, you know, if you look at the history of these select committees, they've not been super productive, right? I mean, there was a select committee on uh, budget and appropriations process reform a few years ago. It passed zero recommendations. Yeah. Before I got to Congress, there was something called the super committee that was focused on debt and deficit reduction. It passed zero recommendations.
3: Excellent. Um,
2: as we sit here this morning chatting with you, our committee has uh, passed nearly 120 recommendations. All of them have been bipartisan. Most of them have been unanimous. About 60% of them are either implemented or in the process of being implemented. And the others were working to try to get implemented. And so, you know, like we've done things differently with an eye towards actually having different outcomes than the prior prior select committees.
1: And when you talk about implementation, what does that look like how does how does one of your recommendations become implemented
3: so it it depends on the type of recommendation sometimes it's literally the speaker of the house waves a magic wand and it becomes uh, love it uh, sometimes we have to go to the architect of the capital or another government agency and say we need help with this Um, this Mm -hmm. is the recommendation what do you need from us what do you need from the speaker's office from congress to facilitate this objective. And most of these were done collaboratively with different government agencies. So it's not like we're just saying, do this. They came to us and we had a hearing and we right. talked and we said, okay, well, let's, how can we change this to make it better? This is the problem. We're gonna troubleshoot. Okay, this is the recommendation. And then now we're at the point where if a government agency has not been able to facilitate the objective, it's, well, what resources do you need to do this? Do you need staff? Do you need uh, money, right. do you need space? Whatever it is. and we, we've got to just follow up and make sure that they're all done. But honestly, a lot of them, the speaker just waves a magic wand and it, and it becomes so. And that's those are the best. Ones. Yeah,
1: I, I want <laughs> I want that. Jeez,
3: yeah. <laughs> I need the magic wand for me. The speaker of the House has incredible authority yeah. over the House of Representatives and Congress and the Capitol complex. So most of the time when when she says jump, everybody says how high.
2: Well, let's give a quick example in that regard. One of our recommendations last year was currently there is a prohibition on congressional staff making more than members of Congress make. Mm. And the you know, the reason that's a problem is you have on committees, you have some very technical staff with extraordinary expertise that are hitting a ceiling because. Uh, they can't make more than members of Congress. So we lose a lot of those very capable staff. Some senior chiefs of staff who've been here for years and years and years haven't seen a raise in years and years and years because they can't make more than members of Congress. So one of our recommendations, acknowledging that Congress has not raised its own pay for a decade, was at least de-link it so that staff who have expertise aren't looking for the first exit. The Speaker of the House last month said, "Yeah, we're doing that." Uh, and body,
1: bop, bop. It was done. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. Awesome. It, you know, so kind of magic, but yeah. also you know, be really important for retaining very capable people. Um, there's some other stuff that will require you know doing it through the appropriations <clears throat> process. So some of the things that we've said is, you know, we want to retain staff not just at the highest end, uh, but we want to make sure that that entry level staff are. Are, are getting compensated adequately, are getting trained adequately, and so some of our recommendations have been in the spirit of providing more resources to offices, more resources to the institution, so that those um, members of our teams are able to get the compensation and training, so that they can have good, you know, good experiences here and that they can do better work for the American people.
3: It's extremely challenging to retain talent at all levels. Right. It doesn't matter if you've been here for a year and you're 25 or you've been here for 20 years and you're 55. You can generally, if you are fairly good at your job, make minimum double off off the hill. I mean, you know, chiefs of staff can, can easily make double when they leave. So right. that's a huge challenge, especially when you are like my chief of staff, who's uh, 38 and Just had his first child hopes to have another. And, you know, it's it's tough. Cost of living in D.C. is extraordinary. It is extraordinary. So staff is a huge component, making sure that our teams are appropriately compensated and we have the tools to retain them and quality of life on the hill. We're still tackling the food desert that is Washington. That is the Capitol Hill. It is. (laughs) <laughs> if you don't want Subway or you know and pizza, you're out of luck. So um, and I don't. You know, yeah, <laughs> we, we got to work on getting some some more maybe health health conscious uh, options. Uh, we do now have a coffee. Uh, it's a lovely little coffee shop in the bottom of Cannon. I don't know if you've seen it yet, uh, but they, they have a very long line. We're going to have to get some technology going there. Make sure mobile <laughs> order there. Uh, I just I saw a member of Congress earlier waiting in line for probably 10, 12 minutes. I was like no, this is not, this is not our objective. We need to save time, not create opportunities. To <laughs> we spend- got to get the yes. recommendation yeah, we going. We can't be in line yes. 12 minutes. Yes. Um, but we're, we're very excited about making sure that people want to work on the Hill and people can serve. It is an extremely important component
0: of what we're doing. Yeah. It's, uh, it's important to have good people under you. I, I interned for a, a senator and, and it's the amount of work that even gets passed off to interns. That's like a, you know, not not high level stuff, but you know, is is work that you're doing for the American people and it's not a paid position. And, you know, you kind of, you know, would sit there and be like, oh, this is, it's a great opportunity and I'm learning so much, but it's it's kind of, it was wild, the stuff that you then are responsible for in a way. Luckily,
3: things and have changed since you interned. Um, it, I don't oh, good. think there are any unpaid internships on the Hill anymore. Next. There's a separate budget. That was a recommendation, wasn't it? There, Yeah, last Congress, they created a separate budget outside of our, the, each member's office budget for paid interns in dc and they're about to have the same thing oh, good. in the district but the vast majority of members have been paying their interns uh for the last few years there's probably a few exceptions but
0: no that's great i mean i was in district so it's good to hear that even that's going out to the district that's wonderful in,
2: yeah the program has been extended to the district so nice. um, awesome That's so good. Arden, I I interned uh, for my Congressman when I was in college and Mm. I spent the whole summer in his office and I'm I'm not sure I got a whole lot of interaction with him until the very final day, (laughs) uh, he invited me into his office and he said, I'm now gonna teach you the most important lesson of this internship. And I was like, yeah. And he said, this is something that people in this town would kill to learn and I'm gonna teach it to you. And I was like, yeah. And he said, I'm going to teach you how to light and smoke a cigar.
0: Oh, my God. God. So that was old school. I think that was pretty old school. That is old school. Oh, my God. Did you did you
2: learn how to light and smoke a cigar? That was the one time in my uh, life.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But just you wait. I bet there is going to be a time down the road where lighting and smoking a cigar is going to come in handy and you're going to go, handy.
3: whoa. you know what's funny? <laughs> I don't think it was when the speaker, when Speaker Pelosi first got uh, became speaker, there was smoking like in the speaker's lobby every, there was smoking everywhere. Right, yeah. Like mm. He banned it. I could not fathom what that would be like. I'm very happy that we do not have that. Sure. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Just like taking a vote, being like, "I," you know.
3: Oh, they had spit. They had spit buckets uh, too. God. That happened. Uh,
1: oh, what a shame! Oh. What a shame we lost oh. the spit Ugh. buckets. You know, <laughs> was that what the no. last iteration uh in you know the 90s or 70s took away the spit buckets?
3: I actually think this was in the 2000s. Oh my gosh! I, I think this oh was God. in the mid mid 20. 2005-ish. Wow. Well, Congress
1: is, you know, a little... That's part of the things we're working on is that they're slow to implement sometimes. (laughs) And the spit buckets are certainly an example.
0: So we read through some of the recommendations that you guys have passed recently and some of the stuff that has been implemented. What are you, aside from staffing, and not to say aside from staffing, because that's very important, and, you know, we've talked about how important it is to have a a healthy, robust, well-compensated staff. What are some other things... That you guys are focusing on right now as a committee, what kind of what, are, what issues are you looking at right now?
2: Yeah, we just went through three hearings related to civility and collaboration, and I know that seems like an unusual thing to to look at, but it is such a big part of the problem of the dysfunction in Congress. We really decided to to lean in on this, and we've had hearings where we've invited in everyone from political scientists to We invited a a guy who runs the group Braver Angels, whose background is as a family therapist. Uh, We have spoken to, you know, sports coaches who've taken over dysfunctional teams and figured out how they changed the culture of their team. We talked to an organizational psychologist at Wharton, Adam Grant, who talked about how to build winning work cultures, you know at this point, I'm prepared to speak to an exorcist uh, just to figure out how do we get through some of the challenges of the institution. But I, I think these conversations and these hearings are lending themselves to a number of recommendations that we will likely make. We haven't, we haven't landed the plane on those yet, but our, our intent is before, before the Christmas holiday to pass another round of recommendations with a, a pretty significant focus on this issue of how do you build in more civility to the place?
3: I've divided this conversation of civility into three areas. The first is time. We've already talked about it. We have to be here more. We have to have more time to,
1: mm-hmm. to build
3: relationships, to, to, to engage in actual policymaking. Um, the second is incentive structures. Incentive structures is huge right now. They're kind of out of whack. We got a lot of conflict entrepreneurs, people that uh, thrive and profit from conflict. And we've got to create incentive structures that facilitate mm. uh conversations and collaboration and bipartisanship policymaking using, you know, a fact based approach. And then the last is relationship building, and the relationship building builds on the first two, and they all three kind of go together. Again, a great example is our committee, 12 members of Congress wanted to have dinner Uh, after votes, this was probably two months ago, and it was outrageously challenging for us to be able to have dinner on the complex it it it, we literally went through iteration after iteration of options and it should be super easy Mm -hmm. like if 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 12 members of congress you know six republicans six democrats want to have dinner together after a vote series it should be like a option a option b option c come here come there that's one example but i mean if 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 i want to have a conversation about policy with uh, a member on the financial services committee I don't really want to go to his office. That's, you know, away territory. He don't want to come to my office. That's my home territory. Where do we go? Like, what do yeah, we do? Right. And, and there should be just ample opportunities for us to go in, in a great environment that we want to be in, that has all the different opportunities uh, that, that, that would make it a, a great experience. That should be like easy, easy, but, but it's very challenging. And we're, we're working on trying to create physical space. Um, and really easy opportunities for people to engage in uh, policy-based conversations using mutual respect. Mm. Mutual respect, yeah, the key. I'll
2: give you. I'll give you two other quick examples that came up in our hearing yeah. yesterday. You know, some of the conversations around how do you just establish basic norms of how we treat each other, right? And. So one of our witnesses, and I don't know if we'll have a recommendation on this, but I, I think he's, there's something to this. One of, one of our witnesses said, you know, every committee should establish some civility norms of, to, you know, to quote the TV show, The Good Place, what do we owe each other, right? How do we, right. how do we engage one another in, um, which is not to say we're going to agree with each other on everything, but, you know, sort of what are the basic guardrails on how we treat one another and engage one another in a civil way? We had another, uh, we had a witness who testified her research was on collaboration in Congress. And she said, you know, the, when I tell people my research is on collaboration in Congress, you know, people say, well, that ought to be a short book, right? Like, but, you know, but, <laughs> you know, part of the challenge to William's point is the incentives aren't always there to collaborate. But the other reality is sometimes it's just really hard. It's hard to find, you know, if you're here to work on as William is, issues related to debt, or if you're here to work on issues related to opioid uh, uh, issues, or if you're here to work on housing for um, homeless veterans, if you're here to work on, you know pick your issue, figuring out in a body of 435 members, okay, who might be a good tag team partner to, to work with? Right. It's actually really challenging. Now, one of the things that came up in the discussion from with this witness yesterday You know if you look at in a in a corporate setting you know a lot of corporate large corporations will have like an intranet where you can search a database and say i need someone with expertise related to x y or z you can query it and it will say here are the people who work on those issues or or have expertise on those issues that doesn't exist currently in congress but it probably should so that you know as a new member or even as an old member If I say, hey, I want to work on a campaign finance reform bill, is there, can I find a Republican who has said, I care about this issue, Right. then then it's not me sort of wandering around the forest in the dark, a la Blair Witch Project, right? (laughs) Right. We want to be able to, you know, sometimes it is too hard and and it ought to be easier to find uh, ways to collaborate, not harder. So that's part of what our committee is going to take a look at.
1: Yeah, you need like a database of expertise almost, yeah. you know. Well, yeah. and,
2: and even something as simple as one of our, and I don't know if we're going to make a recommendation on this because we haven't talked through it as a committee yet, but one of our, our witnesses said, you know, right now when you sponsor a bill, if, if William and I spend six months working on a bill together and introduce that bill, only one of us gets to be the lead sponsor of that bill. Mm. And, you know, that sounds irrelevant, but really, if you're, you know, in, in every other arena, when you have the Lizzie and Arden podcast, it's not the Lizzie podcast featuring Arden, right? Oh God, like,
1: never. You
2: yeah. know, you know <laughs> in academia, if you co-author a book, you co-author, yeah. right? Right. And in this place, only one person gets their name on the bill and the other person gets to be kind of down the rung of, you know, also co-sponsors on the bill. You know, so one of the recommendations was allow two people to sponsor a bill. Yeah. Yeah. Particularly if it's bipartisan. That doesn't seem crazy to me. No. no. And there, you know, that may sound cosmetic again, but, you know, oftentimes people are evaluated by how many bills they get passed. Our constituents want to know that we're getting pucks into the net on their behalf. And, you know, this is, I think, an area where something minimal might be able to encourage more collaboration.
3: I'm going to throw one more in for y'all. This is a pretty cool story. So I got elected in 2018, uh, January of 2019, you know, get your office. You're like, Oh my God, I got an office. (laughs) And, um, they gave me a pager in, in 2019. They gave me a paper on your belt. Yeah, it, I, th- I think they're made for doctors and then drug dealers. But I mean, you know, the, yes. the, the pager. seriously. That, that, and I literally brought it into one of our first committee hearings. And I was like, hey, guys, we got some work to do. They gave me a page. We can't do this. <laughs> so, um, you know, honestly, apps, though. I mean, um, Stenia Warrior, the majority leader, he has an app uh, called Dome Watch. Most of, the, most of my colleagues on the Republican side have no idea about it. And I use it all the time. You got to be careful because the vote recommendations are for for Democrats and I get I get in trouble. I get confused. But, um, you know, just the 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 efficiency through this app is incredible. And, you know, uh, Leader Hoyer also has another app. It's called um, Dome Directory. So learning your colleagues names is really hard. Yeah. And so you use this app and it literally tell you can divide it into House Democrat freshman, House Republican freshman, House Democrats. And you. See their photo? You, you say, all right, I think that's Derek Kilmer. Press it. it says, oh, that's Derek Kilmer. Oh, great. So, you know, just, just there's all oh, these awesome. ways that technology can make us more efficient and better at our jobs. And um, that's another area that, that I've been focused on because, I mean, you know, every minute, every five minutes, every 10 minutes that we can save of members of Congress time and staff's time that adds up fast. It adds up real fast.
0: Right. And every minute that you can add, that's a, that's a positive interaction between members of Congress who maybe have never met each other before or met in passing or, you know, saw somebody, you know, any chance you can increase the positive time in the ways that you're talking is so, so good. Even if it's just exactly, I think that, I think that's that person and I'm just going to click on this picture and it is, or, you know, Just the idea of like sitting around a a round table and talking to faces and leaning side to side when you're having committee meetings, as opposed to in a line and, you know, to your point, like talking to somebody, the back of somebody's head, any time that you can increase those positive interactions sounds like, you know, that just those minutes will then increase positive moments exponentially. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I'm I'm curious about what you both see as like the longevity of this committee you know because we we talked at the top of this saying this a, t- a committee of this sort has existed in the past but has never you know stood the test of time do you see this committee standing I hope I my answer is I definitely hope so cuz I am so pro this committee you have no idea but what, like, what does the future look like? Will this be around the next Congress? Or do you not know yet? Or when
3: will you know? So th- originally, we were only given a year. So in the 116th Congress, we were only given one year. Right. And um, we were fortunate enough to get a second year. And uh, we made the most we could with that second year. COVID obviously complicated things. But this Congress, we got two years. So we still have 15 months left. So we currently have more time to to do our work than we did in the first or second iteration. And we have an incredible team squared away. We, we have reconstituted the committee with some new members. Everybody's working together. We're running on all cylinders. So I don't think, I, I have a feeling that we will not have a select committee in the next Congress, but there is talk of creating a subcommittee under House administration to continue some of these conversations and to talk about implementation. I, I think the, the committee's work is extremely important. But what do you think?
2: I guess most functional organizations think about their performance more than once every twenty or thirty.
0: Years. Right. And so, <laughs> the, common sense, uh, common sense. <laughs> there is
2: some value in thinking about okay, structurally, how do we make sure this conversation continues and doesn't, have, and you know, that the American people don't have to wait two or three decades for Congress yeah. to engage on its performance again. Yeah. What that ends up looking like, I don't think we know yet. Right. I think to William's point, that the, the yeah, our, our our focus has really been when this committee was created. They kind of flipped the hourglass, and the sand is coming down. And we're trying to get as much stuff done to make this place function better yeah. within the time that we've been allotted. Well,
0: God bless you. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, I I think it's so important, and I think because it's you know, again, I'm I didn't come from the world of politics or political science or anything. I'm just a simple country girl from Texas. And I just feel like that's what the American people want, Congress to work together. That's such a big thing that I think most Americans want of Congress, is to work together and more efficiently.
2: It's, I think it is worth acknowledging there are differences between the two parties, and that's okay. Right, right. It, it, mm-hmm. it, and and we're going to have fierce debates on a whole lot of issues that are really relevant to the American people, and that's okay. I think where where people are justifiably concerned about uh, Congress is one, the institution struggles to even move forward on areas on which there is agreement. Yeah, and that's really a problem. and two. Uh, oftentimes, it's not civil disagreement; it's the Jerry Springer show, right? right? And 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 it gets to the point of you see obstruction and incivility, and I think that's where the American people say, "Gosh, you know, a pox on both your houses." I think you know the the you know as we're talking, you see a boat over my shoulder. I, I live in a town called Gig Harbor, Washington, which is named the Maritime City. So I use a lot of boating analogies. Um, you know, the seas are really rocky, right? Like we have a lot of challenges and it's really hard to get the boat where we want to go. If everybody was had their oars in the water rowing in the same direction, it is really, really hard when 40% of the oars are rowing in one direction, 40% in the other direction. And oh, by the way, 20% of the oars are out of the water, actively seeking to beat everyone else over the heads, right? And that's kind of the dynamic that exists currently in Congress, and so p- part of the work of this committee is at least trying to figure out how do we how do we avoid capsizing or running into the rocks right. because there's too much at stake for our country right now.
0: I I completely agree, and I think we should maybe let that be the the last word on the that's such a great end note. Mm-hmm. It's like
1: you almost sense that we were running out of time. I know. That this has just been so insightful and so informative and you know, we both appreciate you both of you taking time out of your very yep. busy schedules to to talk to us and our listeners about this committee and the work that you're doing and we will obviously be watching very closely and cheering on recommendations coming through. Yep. So thank you both so so much for joining us, and to our listeners, please as always rate, review, subscribe, share this episode with your friends. Let them know that there is hope for bipartisanship, and you know all of the things that I think we are craving right now in this troubled time. I'll say that. Yeah. And again, thank you both, Congressman Kilmer, Congressman Timmons, so much for joining us
3: today.
2: Great to be with you. Thanks so much. Thank
0: you. Thank you.